All right, Rabbi, say good morning. Let us let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Share to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of ER, Yona and Shishi Ehrenfeld, for dedicating all the Shur and Shoshos this month in memory of uh, their grandfather, Yosef Ben Shmuel Aaron. Benjamin and Elise Wall for dedicating Sherman Joshua's this month in memory of Moshe Chaim Ben Tzvi Hirsch. Our week of learning sponsor, Hilary Jacobs in Kent, Commission of the Arts Act of her daughter, Shifra Bas Chana Dina. Our day of learning sponsor, Mr. Lars Softness, in memory of his father, Yosef Ben Ruvain. Our Dafyomi sponsors for today, Mordechai Malki Tosk. Le'iloi Nishmas Mordechai's grandfather, Avram Aryeh ben Reb Meir and Bennett Goldberg, for dedicating the Daftedic motion of the archite of his beloved mother, Peggy Goldberg, Fega Rezel, Bas Reb Yaakov, Zichron Levracha. And I will say, of course, it, um, we dedicate our learning this morning, Le'iloi Nishmas, the 19 children and two adults who were killed in the terrible, terrible massacre in Uvalde, Texas. It's... Um, it is sometimes, you know, things happen and you wonder to yourself, like, what kind of world, how do things like this happen? How do things like this happen? That, that, that there's violence, that there's war, that there's bloodshed. But children, children, and I'm sure the, the details of this, of this massacre are still, are still unfolding and the realities of this are still unfolding. But it, it's, it's just overwhelming. Just literally overwhelming. As a parent, it's overwhelming. As a, as an American, it's overwhelming. As a human being, it's overwhelming. And I, I think for all of us, it has it has to spark. You know, it's easy when these kind of things happen. It's easy. Like the first thing that happens is it's the debate about gun control, right? That's that's, and that might be true. Maybe there are things that have to be done, or or it's a debate about how we deal with mental illness. Even before we know, you know, who 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 the who the, who the Russia was. Who, who did this, would say the most important thing is that there's something wrong in the fabric of our country. The United States has the highest incidence of these mass shootings. The highest incidence of, of, is, 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 in, is, is one of the most advanced nations in the entire world. It's a cheshpan anefesh. What, what is it? What, what is it that's tearing away at the fabric of this world? What, what and, and, and I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know that any of us have the answer right now. But it has to spark a cheshbon anefesh, because if we live in a country where just children are, are murdered, children are murdered, it behooves us to wonder what, what's in the avira, what's, what's in the atmosphere, what's, what's happening over here, and what could we each do, what is our part to try to address it? So obviously this morning is not a time for answers, it's just a time of reflection and a time of intense pain and suffering and mourning. But we hope that our learning will somehow provide an aliyah for the neshamas of these innocent victims and somehow allow HaKadosh Baruch Hu to provide strength for these families who have such a long journey of pain and adversity ahead of them. And Halavai, we hope that the day will come where such things will be a memory of the past, where mankind will embrace the idea and the ideal of Shalom as L'Chathila. And again, it's not Lo Yisa Goy El Goy, it's not just, you know, the Navi talks about nations shall not lift up arms against other nations. We've come to see it's not just nations, but how about we should just be able to live by our neighbor in peace. That we should just be able, wherever we're living, that people should just not even have a havamina to harm and to hurt one another. And how about we should see that day, experience that day, Bakarov.
We'll say, let us begin. We have a beautiful, beautiful Gemara ahead of us today. The Gemara is picking up, our daf today is Ayin Tess 79, and we are picking up at 78b. So we left off, Rebosei, with the Gemara, Amr of Chanabar Ada, Nesinim David Gazer Aleyim. So a lot of Gemara to do today. So we'll say it's about, uh, it's 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 19 lines up from the bottom. So of Chanabar Adonisinim David Gazer Aleim. David HaMelech was the one who decreed that the Nesinim should not enter into the assembly of Klal Yisrael. And I will say when we speak about not, not entering into the, well, fine. Right, he was, goes around the Nesinim, let's just leave it like that for now. Shudamar, Vayikra HaMelech Legivon. And I will say, now, when did this happen? When did this happen? So it's an incredible story. The king called out to the Givonim, and he said to them, And the Givonim were not part of the Jewish people. I'm sorry. My time, So we'll say. So ultimately, the Gemara is picking up over here on the pasuk that says, They were not part of Klal Yisrael. So they were attached to Klal Yisrael, as we're going to see, as water carriers, as servants, but they were not part of Klal Yisrael. Why were they not part? My time of Gazer Alayhu. Why was David Hamelech Gozer upon them that they cannot join Klal Yisrael? Listen to this. So the Gemara says, listen to this, there was a massive famine during the days of David HaMalach, massive famine for three years, three consecutive years. So I will say, listen to this, In year one of the famine, David HaMalach understood a famine like this doesn't affect the people for no reason. There must be a reason. There must be a reason. So perhaps, again, there was Ov de Avodazara. Perhaps the people are worshipping idolatry. As we see in Kriyashma every single day, that worship of idolatry is one of the reasons for which HaKadosh Baruch Hu withholds the rain. So maybe you're worshipping idolatry, that's why there's a famine. They went ahead and they searched, they searched. They searched to see if people are worshiping Avodazara. They both say, Bar Hashem, a wonderful thing. They weren't finding systemic Avodazara. Okay, Shnia. So now the second year came. Amr Lahem, Shema Ovre Avera Yeshbachem. Maybe people are immoral. Maybe there's immorality. I just want to point out what's fascinating about this is that what David Amalek is modeling and teaching us is when bad things happen, we have to introspect. See, I will say there's this fine line because on one hand, just because something bad happens doesn't mean that a person, an individual, or a group did anything wrong. There is a concept of tzaddik viralo that sometimes, again, apropos to what we were talking about before, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good people. But I will say, but from a, from a self-growth perspective, what David HaMalek is saying is if as a people we are encountering this adversity, it behooves us to introspect. It behooves us to introspect. W- will we understand why Hashem is doing what He's doing? Who knows? But Lamaisa, the job of a Jew, when the Jew encounters adversity, is to introspect. So it's not raining, is there Avodah Zara? Okay, second year. It's not raining, is there immorality? Well, say, by the, the good news is they looked for systemic immorality, didn't find it. Baruch Hashem. 
So I will say, Shlishes Amalahem, Shema Postgate Stucke Barabim Yeshpacha Meinos. And it's so interesting. Third year still wasn't raining. So, okay, maybe are there people who are pledging tzedakah and not paying? Now, I will say, by the way, isn't this fascinating? Right? So we've started with, we've started, we're talking about reasons why Akhil Israel withhold rain. Avodazara, got it. Right? Gilarayos, immorality, got it. Now, when they come to year number three, and Dara Melech is looking for a reason, maybe, maybe people are pledging stuck in public and not carrying through. I will say it is fascinating to see how this transgression is grouped with the other two, right? In other words, I will say if you, if you were scripting this, what would they have looked for in year number three? Murder, right? Murder, Shvichos Damim. Now, again, they don't look for Shvichos Damim for one simple reason, which is why. Why doesn't that come up? If there's murder, you know about it. Right? In other words, avodazara you could hide. Immorality, you could hide. Bloodshed, you can't really hide. But it's fascinating to see what's so bad about making tzedakah pledges in public and ultimately, again, not paying. It was because ultimately, again, what that represents is a sense of false piety. If there is one thing that the Ribbono Shal Olam despises, it's false piety. In other words, Hashemarach just wants one thing of us. He doesn't ask perfection. He doesn't even ask us to be pious. He just asks us to be honest. Just be honest. Be honest about what you are. Be honest about what you're not. And it's okay. It's okay. But don't go ahead and put forward an image of piety. That's postgate tzedakah berabim. Don't go ahead and make an image of piety. I'm giving this. I'm doing this. I'm helping this. I'm this. And it's not true. It's not true. That, that disingenuousness is des, g- disingenuity. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Right? That, right? That, that disingenuity ultimately, again, it's saying that Chaj Baruch Hu has just no appetite for. So they looked, they couldn't find anything. So both say three years, right? Three years of consecutive famine, three years, no rain. They, they searched immorality, our idolatry, immorality, false piety, nothing. We'll say, look at this last line, and this is a leader. Amar, in hadavar tali elabi. David HaMelech says, the matter must now, we'll say, this doesn't mean that David HaMelech is saying, oh, it must be my fault. It must be my fault. See, I will say, if you notice what happened in the first three years was, the way, the way it started was, the famine starts, and what was David HaMelech? Amar lahem, Amar lahem, Shema, whatever the Avera is, Yesh Bachem. He said to them, he said to them, Maybe there's something wrong with what you're doing. In the first, in the first, for three times, Adam says to the nation, perhaps this situation is reflective of your spiritual standing or lack thereof. At this point in time, David Amalek realizes that the issue is not with the nation. Now, that doesn't mean David Amalek is saying there's something wrong with me, but rather what he's saying is the, the problem is something I, the king, have to address. In other words, David Amalek owns the problem. The first three attempts were an attempt to say someone else has to look into the problem. People, what's going on? You, you look. Now, okay, it wasn't the people. They did their part. Someone says, I own it. We'll say that's leadership. Leadership is as a problem. The leader is not saying that ultimately, again, it's his fault. But what he's saying is the problem is my problem. I'm, I'm going to try to, I, now I realize I have to fix this. It's not something that people could fix. I have to fix it. Watch this. So ultimately what happens? David HaMelech goes to seek out HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What does that mean? 
He went and he asked the Urim Vitumim. I remember again the Urim Vitumim. The, the Kohen Gadol wore a breastplate to Choshen. The Choshen had a fold. Inside of that fold was the 72-letter name of Hashem. And Kivyachol, that fold almost operated as the spiritual battery of the Choshen. See, so you were able to, and it's called that, 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 that was called the Urim, a piece of paper, it was called the Urim Vitumim. Hey, so ultimately, you were able to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu a question, and the Rebam Shalom would answer through the Choshen. So the Gemara says, My mashma, Amr Abelazar, Asya Pnei Pnei, Ksiv Hacha Vaivakish Davides Pnei Hashem, Uksiv Hasam, Vishalo Bemishpat Urim Vitumim Lifnei Hashem. Vayomer Hashem al-Shol, Hashem says to Shol, I'm sorry, Vayomer Hashem, Hashem says to David, do you want to know why there's a famine? Listen to this. El-Shol ve'el-Beis ha-Domim al-Asher-Himis es-Hagivonim. Hashem says to David, do you know why the famine is happening? Because of Shaul, because of Shaul, and because he killed the Givonim. Okay, what does this mean? Al-Shol shlo nisbat ka'alocha. I both say, ultimately, the people are being punished because when Shaul was killed, remember again, Shaul died in war with the Plishtim. When Shaul died in war and he was buried, the people did not eulogize him appropriately. They didn't eulogize him, they didn't, they didn't give him a proper levayo. They didn't, proper, right? they, they didn't eulogize him appropriately. And what does it mean? Because Shaul is guilty because he has blood on his hands. Because he killed the Givonim. He killed the Givonim. Where do we see that Shaul went ahead and killed the Givonim? Elamitoch Shaharag Nov Irakohanim. Shayumaspik in Lahem Mayim Ummazon. Ma'ala Allah Bakosov Kilu Hargan. They both say this is absolutely incredible. Shaul, just a little bit of Navi here. David Amalech, remember it. Let's, let's take a step back. David kills Goliath, right? Remember, after he kills Goliath, David experiences a meteoric rise in greatness. That sparks, and part of that is, he married Shaul's daughter, Michal. Now, the problem, of course, was Shaul began to become, Shaul became very jealous of his son-in-law. And Shaul became convinced that his son-in-law, David, was trying to usurp the throne. Of course, nothing was further from the truth. But David Amalek made a conscious decision, I'm not fighting Shaul. So instead, he escapes. He runs away. And he runs place to place. One of the places where he sought refuge was the city of Nov. Nov was a city of Kohanim. And Nov is actually where the Mishkan was, was stationed. And I both say, David did not want to tell anyone what was really happening. I both say, you know how like, when there's some dysfunction in the family, you try to keep it in the family, right? So David Amalek doesn't exactly want to start telling people, by the way, my father-in-law, the Shver, is trying to kill me, right? And that's not like a metaphor, right? It's actually quite literal. He's, he's trying to kill me. David Amalek does, doesn't want to get into this. He doesn't want to get into this. So instead, he tells the people of No, I'm on a secret mission from Shaul. Do you have any weapons and food? So they said, we have no weapons. The only weapons we have over both say is incredibly what? Is the sword and the shield of Goliath. Because they kept it by the Mishkan, like as a memorial, as a memorial. So we, we, we'll give you the weapons, we'll give you food. Shaul's advisor, Doeg. Remember Doeg? Remember Doeg? We just had Doeg. We had Doeg two days ago. What, what was Doeg trying to do? Doeg was trying to discredit David. From the beginning, Doeg was antagonistic towards. So Doeg sees this and he tells the king, you see, the people of Nov are aiding and abetting the war criminal David. The people of Nov had no idea what was happening. For, they, they took David at his word. He's here on a secret mission from the king. Here's food. Here's weapons. That's So Shaul, again, was so, his mind was just so consumed with rage and hatred 
he wiped out the city of Nov. He ordered, he ordered the city of Nov wiped out. The Rabbos say, the Givonim, the Givonim worked in the vicinity of Nov. And their Parnassa came from Nov. When Nov was wiped out, the Givonim no longer had Parnassa, and a mass swath of their population died. Died as a result of starvation, privation. So the Gemara, so the Gemara, so, so the Navi says that Shaul wiped out the Givonim. Of course, he did not directly wipe them out, but by wiping out the city of Nov, he deprived them of their sustenance. It's incredible. We'll say, by the way, I want to point out why are we getting into this? Just so you remember, the Givonim are the Nesinim. The Nesinim, it's the same nation. It's the same people. And remember, again, our first interaction with these people is that the Givonim, who are actually an indigenous nation to Canaan, when we came into Eretz Yisrael, so again, going backwards, when we came into Eretz Yisrael, they, they came to Yoshua and they pretended they were from a faraway land. They wanted to, they lied about being an indigenous nation because they did not want to be wiped out or have to leave. So they lied about being from a faraway land. Yoshua made a treaty with them. That's our first interaction with the Givonim. So the Givonim then has seen him, same nation. Back to the Gemara. So we'll say, the Gemara says, before we go on, so, so now David HaMelech has the reason for the famine. And what's the reason for the famine? Ultimately, two reasons. Number one, because Shaul was not properly eulogized. The people did not give proper cover to Shaul. And number two, because Shaul wiped out the Givonim. So says the Gemara, such a strange thing. So the Gemara says, So we'll say, isn't this strange? Claudius was held accountable on one hand, you didn't properly eulogize Shaul. He was a righteous man. You didn't pro- properly eulogize him. And on the other hand, you're saying he committed such an Aveira that he wiped out the Givonim. So, so that we're held accountable almost for like two opposite things. We didn't give proper cover to Shaul, and yet Shaul wiped out the Givonim. But it's so profound. In Damresh Lakish what's the meaning of the Pasik? That the Gemara quotes over here. Bikshu as Hashem kal so literally, again, the, the humble people of the land will seek out a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Hashem mishpato pa'alo bakshu tzedek bakshu anava alay techasru abiyom af. Shabbos said, the Gemara is quoting over here the Pasuk as follows. So the Gemara says, ba'asher mishpato sham pa'alo. And we'll say sometimes where the mishpat of a person is, that's where his actions are as well. See, I will say, but the Gemara is so by the Mishpat, right? Bamak Rashi says, Bamakom Shedanin Ha Adam, Sham Maskir and Paul Tzidkosav. When a Khalish Baruch who judges us, that's when he remembers our accomplishments as well. So, in the moment, ultimately, again, that Shaul is being judged for what he did for the Givonim, he's also remembered for the fact that he did many righteous things. And therefore, again, he deserved a better Levaya, a greater Hesped than he received. But I will say, what, what an incredibly profound Gemara. Because what the Gemara is saying over here is that when a Kaddish Baruch Hu looks at us, he looks at us in a balanced way. He doesn't just see our transgressions, and he doesn't just see our good deeds. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at the whole picture. And by the way, that's where the Rachamim of Hashem comes from. The Rosham doesn't just look at our Averas, because if he just looked at our Averas, who could survive such a judgment? On the other hand, he doesn't just look at our mitzvahs, because to look at our mitzvahs and to, and to, and to ignore our transgressions means that ultimately that's not an honest picture. What you could always know you're going to get from HaKadosh Baruch Hu is a fair look, right? Is a fair look, is a fair shake. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always going to look at me in my 
totality. He's going to see the good, he's going to see the not so good, but the Rebbe always views me through the lens of the complete picture. So beautiful. Amar David, Sha'ol, Nafkuluhu, Tracer, Tap of Ayintes, Tracer, Yarchei, Shasa. So David says, listen, what do you want me to do about the Levaya, about, about the Hespit for Shaul? It's been more than 12 months since Shaul died, and we don't eulogize people after 12 months. I must say, Rashi points out over here, it's been much more than 12 months. It was more than 30 years, more than 30 years since Shaul died. I must say, remember again, this is already towards the end of David HaMelech's monarchy, right? It was more than 30 years. So what do you want me to do? You want me to do a, a, a hespid for Shaul now? So what's, it's very interesting. So it's almost as if David HaMelech is saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Masha Haya You know, what's done is done. They, they, it doesn't make sense. I'm going to gather everybody in the base. just could be a large side of people who don't even know Shaul, don't even remember Shaul. And why, and by the way, there's another piece of also, another piece to this, which is Shaul's, you, you know, now that David is king, it, it reflects so poorly on the way that Shaul persecuted him. So there's another piece that it could be that by eulogizing him now, it even awakens some negativity surrounding his memory. So David Amal says to Hashem, this one, you got to let go. You got to let that one go. I understand it was a mistake. We didn't eulogize him appropriately, but we have to move on. We can't go back. What about the Givonim? Selimar so says, Nisinim. Now we'll say, if you notice, but it doesn't call them Givonim, it calls them Nisinim. Same people. Nisinim, Nikrinhu, Vinifai Sinhu. So the Nisinim, okay, listen, I'll call them. Right? Let's see. Let, let me be in touch with them and let's see what we could do to appease them. We wrong them. We wrong them. Ultimately, again, let's see reparations, something we could give them to make it right. So Vayikram Elch will Givonim. So listen to this. We'll say, this is wild. David reaches out. They will say, to his credit, to his credit, David reaches out. He says, what could I do to make this right? How could we atone for our sin against you? They will say, this is wild. So the Givonim said to David, So they say to, say to David, David, listen, we don't want money. We don't want silver. We don't want gold. We have no financial claim against Shaul or his family. What do we want? I will say, this is wild. You turn lanu shiva anashim ibanov, vukanim laashem. So we'll say, so the Givonim, the Nisinim say to David, David, we want you to hand over seven members of Shaul's household and we will hang them. We'll hang them. We don't want gold. We don't know what to say. What do they say? We don't want gold. We don't want silver. What do we want? What do we want? Revenge. We want revenge. So hand over seven male members of their household, we'll hang them in a public display, and we're good. And we're good. So David hears this, Rabbi say, can you imagine David Amalek hears this? Mephayis v'lofay sinhu. He tries to appease them, right? Gold, silver, right? anything else you want. But what I will say, in other words, I will say, you know what the incredible thing is, you see from this, by the way, how futile revenge is and how and how and how almost self-defeating the givonim now the nasinim are in a position where they can have whatever they want right wealth covered on whatever you want whatever you want but when people are bent on revenge they cut off their nose despite their face right it just it just doesn't it just doesn't no we're good no gold no silver seven members of Shaul's household will hang them and we're good so we'll say now interestingly enough now the gemara says David Amalekh cannot appease them. Now, I both say, just as they was happening over here, David Amalekh understood he had to do whatever needed to be done to appease them. 
right? Because at the end of the day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I'm not bringing the rain, I'm not bringing the rain until you appease the Givonim, the Nesinim. So the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said this, and the fact that now the Nesinim are making this outrageous request, David HaMelech realizes deep down, he has no choice but to comply. He's been effectively ordered by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to, to comply with the request of the Nesinim, whatever they need to be calm, that's what you have to do. So I will say, in this moment, David HaMelech has, has a reflective, a reflective like epiphany. And he says something amazing. Amar, shlosha simanim yishbu mazu. And I will say, sometimes, sometimes when you see the, the nature, the base nature of the nations of the world, you realize how special Klal Yisrael really is. And David Amal says there are three simanim, three character traits that mark a Jew. Number one, Rachmanim, we are compassionate. Baishanim, which literally means embarrassed, bashful, but what it really means is a certain sense of humility. The Gomle Chasadim. And ultimately, again, we do Chasad. We, we, we perform acts of charitable kindness. Rachmanim Dirsev, Venasan Lachashem, Racham Evrichamcha, Veherbacha, Baishanim. Whoever has these three simanim is fit to become a member of Klal Yisrael. Before we get to that line, just to speak for a moment about, about these attributes. So I'll, say, I'll just tell you something amazing. Baishanim, it's interesting, what does it mean to be a Baishan? So it could be hum- humility, it could be humble, right? Humility. The problem with translating Baishanim as humility is what? Is what? There is a better word for humility, which is Anava, right? Anavim, not, not, not Anavim with a vase like grapes, Anavim with a vav, right? Humility, humble people. Baishanim literally means embarrassment. So that's really something amazing. The, uh, the Rebbe Rayatz, the Rebbe Rayat says something amazing. He says, Baishanim, listen to this, means, Yehudi mispayesh minafshoha elokis. I'm embarrassed, I'm embarrassed in front of my neshama. Baishanim, Rabbi say means that before a person commits an Avera, I say to myself, I have a neshama, and my neshama is going to see every single thing that I do. So Baishanim means I'm embarrassed. A good embarrassment, a good embarrassment. I'm embarrassed to commit this act. I'm embarrassed to do this thing in front of my neshama, being that I know that my neshama is a spark from Hashem and my neshama sees everything. Such a beautiful definition. Now I will say, the other question on this list is, Rachmanim and Gomle Chasodim seem to kind of be duplicative, right? Rachmanim, compassionate. Gomle Chasodim, people who do chasad, perform acts of charitable kindness, seems to be a bit redundant. So I will say, I'm sure there's something amazing. The Shem Mishmuel, the Saka Chavar says something absolutely amazing. I just want to quote to you. I know we don't have time for it, but I'm just going to quote to you. Look what he writes. Look what he writes. He says, Shegomel Chasad, a person who does chasad, he is a person, Shetushuka so laasos chasad, Ubazeshu ose chasad, humashlemes tushuka so. Now, we'll say to be a gomel chasan, to be a person who does chasan means you have a, a, a desire to do good. You, you, you need to help. You need to be there for others. And I will say, if you can't do something to help, 
then by definition, there's a piece of me that remains unfulfilled. In other words, I, I, it's just something I, I need to do good. I need to do good. I look for opportunities to do good. And I'm only self-actualized when I actually do good. Rahman and say, on the other hand, and therefore such a person, Gomel Chasadim, is a person who's always looking for opportunities to help. Rahmanim, on the other hand, says the Rebbe, is ultimately, again, a person who looks to help when there is a need. I don't go looking for the need, but when I become aware of the need, I rise to the occasion and help. Or to say a little bit different, according to the Sagat Rebbe, being a Rachaman is reactive, being a Gomel Chasadim is proactive. The Rachamon, when he sees something, I, there's something wrong, there's something that has to be fixed, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm not scouring the area to find things to do. But Lamaisa, when I become aware of the need, I will take care of it. Gomel Chasadim is someone who has such a burning and overwhelming desire to do good that I look for the opportunities. I look for the opportunities because I am not fulfilled unless I find those opportunities. So by Shanim, Kalishra's three Midos, by Shanim, we live with a certain sense of embarrassment in front of our neshama, and that embarrassment hopefully prevents me from making mistakes because I know my neshama is going to see it. Rachmanim, Rachmanim, we are reactive people. When we see that there is a problem, we rise to the occasion. But not only that, gomle chasadim. We even have the ability to be proactive and go ahead and act proactively, look for opportunities to make a difference. David Amalek says, these are the three traits of Kalal Yisrael. If you have these traits, you could join Kalal Yisrael. Which I will say by definition also means that what? If you don't have these three traits, then what? You can't join. Rebosa, here it is. This is where David HaMalach was gozer on the Nesinim, that they cannot join Kalal Yisrael. In this episode, when he saw that all they wanted was blood, all they wanted was revenge, all they wanted to do was to hang seven men from Shaul's home, he said, I, now I realize what Kalal Yisrael is. Baishonim, Rachmanim, Gomle Chasadim. And everything that the Nesinim are not. And it was in this moment that David HaMalach was gozer, the Nesinim cannot join Klal Yisrael. The boss said, here we go. But as you pointed out, David HaMalach has no choice but to comply. So we'll say, so David HaMalach rounds up seven men. He rounds up seven men from the house of Shaul. He will say, and it goes ahead. And I will say, I want to point out, by the way, understand this was part of the punishment for Shaul for the massacre of Nov. Just understand, this is the world coming full circle. As, as much as the people, the, the, the Nesinim, are, are utterly wrong, right? And, and morally, what they're doing is morally incomprehensible. In the Galgal Ha'olam, right, in the circle of the world, where, where judgment comes for everyone, this was the judgment for Shaul. At the end of the day, this was the judgment for Shaul, that seven members of his household would be killed for the, by the Nesinim for the massacre of Nov. So David HaMal hands over all of these people. Maishnahani, why, why these seven? So I'm Rav Huna, Ha'avirun Lefnei Aron. So David Melech obviously was not going to make the decision about which members of Shaul would be hanged and which wouldn't. So he gathered up all the members of the house of Shaul and he passed them before the arm, before the ark. And those, the, the ones who were sentenced to death, kalto, literally means absorbed, meaning they were frozen in place 
by the Aro. They are kind of kept them, held them. And that's how David HaMelech knew which ones to hold over. So the Gemara says, Kol she'inor n'kot l'chayim, masiv r'lchana barkatina, fayach ma'amelech ha'mipiboshes ben Yonah, son ben Shaul, sh'loha eviro. So we'll listen to this. But here's what's amazing. David HaMelech had Rachmanus on one of the members of Shaul's household, who? A young man by the name of Mipiboshes. Hello, say Mipiboshes was the son of David's best friend, Yehonas. Remember again, David, David's best friend in the world, his Yedid Nefesh, ultimately was Yonas' son, the son of Shaul. Yonas' son died along with his father in the battle against the Plishtim. David Amalek could not bear to hand over the son of his best friend. You know, you tell you, like, you see these stories. Sometimes one is like, the world is laced with so much pain, so much pain. Like, every, even a page of Dafiomi, right? It's almost like you can't get through anything in life without being confronted with such overwhelming pain. So David HaMelech now has to comply with this ridiculous request by the Nesinim. And he sees the only surviving member of his best friend's family. And he says, you know, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I can't hand over Mipiboshes. So the Gemara says, David, are you permitted to play favorites? Right? Remember again, this is, this is not in your, this is above your pay grade, right? This is not in your hand, right? This ultimately again is, is Hashem. This is the Aaron deciding what right do you have to favor me, Piboshes, over anyone else? Ella, Sheviru Vakalto, Ubikishach, no, no, Bose, see, see, the Havamino was that David Amalek didn't pass me, Piboshes, by the Aaron, right? He, he took him out of the line. The Gemara says, no. He was in the line, and in fact, Mipi Boshes was chosen to be hanged by, by the Nesinim, but David davened for him, and Akadosh Baruch who spared his life. But again, the Gemara says, I'm sorry, but still, he was chosen, and then David davened for him to be spared. How, I don't know, how is it, a, these are all, I will say, just to be clear, these are all innocent people. These are all innocent people. So why is David going ahead? Why is David going ahead and davening for one innocent person over another innocent person? See, I both say, understand what's bothering the Gemara over here? What's bothering the Gemara? What did the Givonim ask for? What did the Givonim ask for? What did they ask for? Seven. Which means, if Yonah's son is spared, then, I'm sorry, if Mepibosheth is spared, then what? Someone else is coming in. I will say, I just want to point out to you that... Jewish responsa throughout the ages is filled with shilas like this. There is a, right? I want to avoid the draft and the czarist army. I can go ahead and I could go ahead and bribe my way out, but there's a quota. And if I'm exempted, they're going to seize another innocent Jewish child. Am I allowed to do it? He'll say, I was, go ahead, Ravashri, I was, I was chosen in a selection, but I could bribe the guard, but they'll take someone else. I will say, this Shaila is the Shaila of our people. There is a decree against us. I could somehow finagle my way out, but if I finagle my way out, someone else who's innocent is going to take my place. Am I allowed to prioritize my life over... Say, that, that's what's bothering the Gemara over here. It's very nice that you want to have Rachmanus on Mipiboshes, the son of your best friend. But at the end of the day, if he's out, someone else is in. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Ultimately, again, that Yonason just should not be chosen. That, 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 that was his tefillah. In other words, 
if he was, if, I'm sorry, that Mipiboshes, thank you. The David David and Mipiboshes should not be chosen. In other words, had Mipiboshes been chosen and David Amalfi extricated him, that would have been a problem. But David Amalfi proactively, David, please, just please, Hashem, don't choose my best friend's son. And I will say, that's a permitted tefillah. That's permitted tefillah. So Mipiboshes was spared. He was spared. He was never chosen. But the Gemara understands the reason he was never chosen is because of the tefillahs of David Amalfi. As the Gemara says, but one second, the whole story is Kurum, right? The whole story doesn't make sense. lo yumsu avos albanim. They will say, I don't understand. How are the children held accountable for the sins of the father? Right? They will say, isn't this over, sort of overwhelming line to read today? They will say, right, how, how could it be that children are ever held accountable? Right? Children are innocent. Children are innocent. So what's the pshat that the children of Shaul? What's the pshat that the children of Shaul are going to be held accountable for the sins of their father. says, here's what it is. You're right. You're right. There's a pasuk in the Torah that says that children do not die for the sins of the father. I will say, children do not die for the sins of the father. I will say, so I point out, I'm saying it's overwhelming that we're reading that we're reading this pasuk today. They're reading this pasuk today once again on a, such a day of national tragedy. But children don't die for the sins of the father. So when children die, like we said at the beginning of the year, it's it's an awakening. It has to be an awakening for something so much greater, so much more profound introspection, so much more profound. What? Is happening to us. They're asking what's happening as a, they were asking what's happening to us as a people, what's happening to us as a country. Children do not die for the sins of the father. So what's happening over here, Say, Listen to this. Says the Gemara. This is incredible. Say before going to the inside, what's happening over here? Remember, why is this whole thing happening? Why is this whole thing happening? Because of what Shaul did to the Givonim. Now again, it was even indirect. It wasn't there. But what Shaul did to the Nisimim by wiping out Nov. I will say, this was considered to be a chil Hashem. A chil Hashem. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Shem shemaim, umos omrim ein uyin li ba, begerim, See, I say, there's another part of this story that we weren't aware of until now, which is, there was a massive chil Hashem. You see, the Givonim, or the Nesinim, were peaceful people who were living alongside Nov, living alongside Nov. Right, doing their thing, helping out, helping out. And I will say, again, Rashi even calls them Gerim. Rashi calls them Gerim, which sounds like over here, that whether that means they converted, right, or they were just like a Gertoshav, right? I will say, Gertoshav is a Gentile who accepts the seven Noahide laws and lives in Eretz Yisrael. They were Gerim. And what happened, I will say, what happened? Shaul wipes out Nov, by definition, wipes, essentially wipes out the Givonim, and there is no recourse there's no recourse. No one ever did good. No one ever tried to repair the damage. So I say, this was a chil Hashem. So the Gemara says, better for a Pasuk from the Torah to be uprooted than for there to be a chil Hashem. So I say, what's the Pasuk? The Pasuk that's being uprooted is lo yumsu Generally, children are not held accountable for the sins of the father. But when it comes to chil Hashem, we have to do anything and everything to remedy chil Hashem. And even if that means uprooting a Pasuk in the Torah, which I will say so dramatic, even if it means uprooting a Pasuk in the Torah, then that is what we will do. Then that is what we will do. We will go and uproot a Pasuk in the Torah in order to write Chil Hashem. Incredible. So the Gemara says, I will say, which by the way, 
just teaches you about the profundity of Chil Hashem, the severity of Chil Hashem. Kash Baruch who says, you could uproot a Pasuk in my Torah to write Chil Hashem. Get ready for this. Ritzpa, the daughter of Ayah. Ayah was one of the men, one of the seven who was executed. So said, David hands over the seven. The Givonim hang the seven. But Rabbi said, that wasn't even the end of it. They left the bodies hanging. They left the bodies hanging. So Ayah, the daughter of one of the executed men, made sure that every day she spread out a cloth over the bodies to protect them from the elements and to protect them from animals. We'll say such a such an overwhelming, right? The daughter of one of the men executed took it upon herself. Ritzma took it upon herself to go out and protect the bodies. I have a hawk how could they do this? The Pasik says you're not allowed to leave a body hanging overnight. If somebody is executed by hanging, you hang the person, right? But then you have to take down the body before nightfall and bury it properly. So how are they able to leave the bodies hanging for an extended period of time? Because again, what's happening over here is the execution of these individuals was considered to be a way to write the Chilol Hashem. The leaving their bodies hanging was considered to be a Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of God's name. Now how is, how is it a Kiddush Hashem? Because people would pass by and they would see the bodies hanging. They would see, who are these people? This is royalty. These are descendants of royalty. What did they do wrong? They went ahead and they set their hands against lowly converts, lowly gerim. The Kiddush Hashem over here was, there had to be a national reckoning for the fact that we wronged simple people, Gerim, simple people, and there was no recourse. And I will say, the way to right that wrong required a public repudiation of the actions of Shaul. And that public repudiation took place in the form of leaving the bodies hanging. So the execution, the execution took care of the Chil Hashem. Shaul desecrated the name of God by, or the people desecrated the name of God by wiping out Nov, depriving the people of the Nesinim of any type of support, them losing their people en masse. And there was never a reckoning. The execution of the seven members of Shaul's household rectified the Kiddush, the, the Chil Hashem. Now, we had to do something positive to show that we repudiate this type of behavior. And how did we do that? A very dramatic way. They left the bodies hanging. They left the bodies hanging. This was the public repudiation. To show people, even monarchy is not above the law. And even monarchy is obligated to go ahead and display proper normative compassion, even to the lowliest of people. And every single Jew, monarch or regular person, is obligated to be mindful of every other human being, no matter whether they be fellow monarchs or ultimately, again, gerim, gerurim, right? Even again, even again, people who live 
on the periphery. And I will say when people saw this public repudiation of the activities of the behavior of the house of Shaul, so again, this was Mekadesh Shem Shemayim, because people saw the sensitivity that Cloud Yisrael had, I will say, which is an incredible way to express sensitivity, right? Which is just a fascinating idea. In any event, the Gemara says, listen to what happened. Miad Nitosfal Yisrael Mea Vechamishim Elef. I will say in that moment, right during this period of time, 150,000 people converted to Yiddishkeit. There was such a mass conversion because people were overwhelmed. I will say, first of all, overwhelmed by two things. Number one, the greatest power of Am Yisrael, which is true as a collective and as individuals, is the ability to say, I made a mistake. Right? I will say, tshuva, tshuva, the ability to own it. I did it. I did it. We made a mistake. We made a mistake. Let's own it. Let's rectify it. Let's reverse course. I will say, such, such people saw this. The ability to acknowledge, to own, to actively own, to publicly own, to repudiate, and then to plot a different course going forward. People saw this and they were overwhelmed by it. So it's referring to the workers that he had, right? So I will say, so ultimately, again, these workers were conversed. I will say, conversion over here, I just want to point out, doesn't have to mean necessarily what we call Gere MS. Right, actual converts. It could be just ger toshav. Remember, we don't need non-Jews to convert. We're not. We're not a proselytizing religion. But it could very well be that what they did is they repudiated their idolatry, became monotheists, and lived lives of Shemesh of Noach. To which the Gemara says, Yisrael." Maybe the extra people that the Navi is referring to by Shmu- by Shlomo are Jews. Lo, the Gemara didn't employ any avadim from Klal Yisrael for the building of the base of Mikdash. I, maybe these were other just hired workers. So the Pasik says over here. Okay, so I will say that reckons the additional 150,000. So I will say this whole story, this whole story, the point of this story is the Nesinim. Right? I will say ultimately, you remember, our Mishnah said, Nesinim are asurim, Nesinim can't join. The general assembly, which means they could convert. If a Nasin converts, ultimately he can become a Jew. But what can't he do? He can't marry into the general marital pool, just like a mamzer. So the Gemara is just trying to figure out where, di- where did the prohibition on the Nesinim come from? Rabbi say, where did it come from? David HaMelech. Why did David HaMelech, why did he decree that they can never join the general marriage pool, even if they convert? Because of this episode. Because David Mel said there are three criteria for joining Klaal Yisrael. Baishonim, Rachmanim, Gomle Chasadim. And clearly, clearly, these elements or these traits were fundamentally lacking within the Nesinim. Incredible. To which the Gemara says, but one second, one second. One second, the Gemara says, Unesinim, David Gazraleim. Was David Mel the one who was Goja, the Nesinim can join Klaal Yisrael? Moshe Gazraleim. Moshe already was goes around them, because what does it say in We'll say from the tree cutters, is where Moshe is gathering everyone, right? From the tree choppers to the water gatherers. So we'll say ultimately, again, Rashi points out over here, the fact that the Torah goes out of its way to highlight the Choteve Tzecha indicates to us that what? That this was a separate group. Who was the separate group? It was the Nesinim. And Moshe Rabbeinu already said, that they are relegated to a separate status, a separate grouping. Moshe Gazar Lahu, Moshe Gazar Lahu Dara. 
David Gazer Lakhali Dara. I will say incredible. Moshe Rabbeinu was only Gozer on the Nesinu for his generation. It was a generational edict. David decreed that the marginalization of the Nesinim should apply forever. Forever. Vakati Yoshua Gazer Alayu. But a second, Yoshua was also Gozer on the Nesinim. So again, Yoshua was also Gozer on the Nesinim. But it's incredible. Everyone has this ongoing issue with the Nesinim, which is really quite amazing. So you have, again, Moshe Rabbeinu is being Gozer on them. David HaMalach is being Gozer on them. But now Yoshua is being Gozer on them. To which the Gemara says, Yoshua Gazar Bizman Shavis Nabosai. What I will point out over something very interesting. The Pasik says that Yoshua, Yoshua Yomahu, Chotve Eitim Shovimaim. So Yoshua makes them tree choppers, water carriers, or water drawers, Laida for the people, and Lamizbeach. So what's interesting over here is Yoshua designated the Nesinim to work for the Mishkan. To work for the Mishkan. So here we go. Yoshua Gazra Yoshua's decree upon the Nesinim worked for the Beis Hamikdash. Was standing when the Mishkan was standing. David Gazra Bizman David was Gazra even when the Mishkan was when the Beis Hamikdash was not standing. I'm a base. Be may Rebbe. So here, so here's how you have it. Essentially, there are three different decrees regarding the Nesinim. Moshe decreed regarding the Nesinim again, just for his generation. Yoshua decreed that the Nesinim should be marginalized for specific service when the base Hamikdash stood. And David's decree regarding the Nesinim spanned for all generations. So it says, you something amazing. Be may Rebbe, Nesinim. In the days of Rebbe, apparently they wanted to permit the Nesinim to join the General Assembly of Klal Yisrael. Whatever, whatever the reason was, so Rabbi said, here's the problem. Under the, under the restriction of Yoshua, Yoshua pledged them, ultimately again, for Klal Yisrael, for the Mizbeach. Even if we could release our decree, do we have the ability to release the decree, regard, or the lien, so to speak, of the Mizbeach, of the Beis HaMikdash, that belongs to Hashem. So, the chilek, Rabbi say, right, the aspect of the Nesinim that was, so to speak, owned by the Ada, right, that was created by Klal Yisrael, that is forever Aser. Chilek Mizbeach, but regarding the chilek of the Mizbeach, Bizmasha Beis HaMikdash Kayim Aser, in Beis HaMikdash Kayim Shari. So, Rabbi say, it turns out, says the Gemara, that in reality, there are almost two parts to the restriction of the, of the Nesinim. They were relegated to a certain status in Klal Yisrael, and they were relegated to a certain status for the Beis HaMikdash. So the shaila is when there is no base hamikdash, what's the what's that's what what what's the status of that status? But leaving that aside, about say again that detail, what comes out from our gemara historically, three different decrees regarding the nesinim: a decree of Moshe, which was a generational decree; a decree of Yoshua, which was to extend again, which was through, as long as the base hamikdash stood, and then a decree of David Amalek, which was forever. And I will say that decree was always the same. That first of all, the Nesinim were relegated to certain menial tasks for the people and for the Beis HaMikdash. And number two, if they were to convert, they would forever have a restricted marriage pool. Incredible, Rabbi say. Let's go by it. It says the Mishnah. I'm Rabbi Yeshua. Shemati Shasaris Cholitz V'cholten Ishto. Rabbi Yeshua says, I heard that a Sar. So I'll say Saris is a person who's a Sris, is a person who's sterile. I, we'll discuss what type of sterility. I have heard that a Sris does Chalitza, and if he dies, we do Chalitza for his wife.
Yet I also heard that a Saris doesn't do chalitza. We don't do chalitza for his wife. So the Eli of Parish and Rabbi Yeshua says, and I have no idea how to reconcile these two statements. I'm Rabbi Akiva, and Yafarish, no problem. I got this. I got this. Swiss Adam, Cholitz, Vicholzin, Lishto, Mibne Shais, Loshas, Kosher. We'll say, Rabbi Akiva is like this. A Swiss Adam, which means a person who became sterile as a result of an injury. That's called Swiss Adam. Right? There's those who were naturally born that way. So Swiss Adam, if it was a result, a result of an injury, ultimately, again, he does chalitza. We do chalitza for his wife. Why? Because we'll say, since, since, there was, since this was the result of an injury, there must have been a time where he was permitted to marry. He was permitted to marry. And therefore, again, his marriage is valid. And therefore, Allah well, okay, we'll define the parameters of this, but he could do chalitza, we do chalitza for his wife. Swiss chama, but I will say, if a person was born sterile, Ultimately, we'll say such a person doesn't really have marriage. And therefore, again, there's no chalitza for his wife, nor does he do chalitza for his sister-in-law. Why? Because he never had a time in which he was permitted to marry. Rabbi Eliezer says, Lo. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Lo. Ki Rabbi Eliezer says, no, I think it's because a Srishama, someone who's born sterile, Rabbi ultimately and does chalitza. Why? Because there's a possibility for him to be healed. Swiss Adam, lo cholitz velo cholitz But I will say, if it's a result of an injury, no chalitza at all. Why? Because there is no healing for his injury. Again, we'll discuss the parameters of this. Hey, Rabbi Shobem Meseira, Rabbi Shobem Meseira gave Eidos al Ben Magusas, Shai Birushalayim, sorry, Swiss Adam. We'll say, so ultimately, again, they told the story of this guy, Ben Magusas, right? Ben Magusas was in Yerushalayim, and he was a Swiss Adam. Ultimately, you know, we'll say so, which means he became sterile as a result of an injury. The Yibum, and he was in Yerushalayim. The Yibum was Ishto, and they did Yibum, right? They did Yibum for his wife. In other words, he passed away without children. They did Yibum for his wife. In order to uphold the position of Rabbi Akiva, a Swiss doesn't do chalitza, doesn't do him. We'll say, we'll see how that statement stems what we just said before. The chain islandess, so too as well, saying islandess is a woman incapable of having children because she fails to physically mature. She doesn't do chalitza and ultimately doesn't do yibum. And we'll say, if a Swiss does chalitza with his sister in law, Lo pasla. Ultimately, again, that chalitza would not preclude her from marrying a kohen. Ba'ala pasla. But ultimately, again, if he has relations with her, that would prohibit her from marrying a kohen. Mipnei she bi'ilas znus. Because that's not yibum, but rather, again, that's bi'ilas znus. V'chein aylinis shechalza la'achin lo pasla. So to an aylinis. If ultimately, again, her brother-in-law did chalitza with her, it does not, it does not preclude her from marrying a kohen. But if there were relations, ultimately, again, she would become invalidated from marrying a kohen because such a bi'ila is called as So we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick, I know we did the Mishnah quickly, but it's okay. We'll, we'll see all of these cases. And the fundamental achalog is Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yoshua, excuse me, in the Gemara tomorrow.